Morning. Welcome to another episode of Daybreak Crypto. We have a couple stories as usual. Uh, today we're starting off with a story about the uh, Florida House of Representatives and really generally about uh, how the crypto industry is helping to right pass uh, its own agenda in these state capitals. But the focus starts with Florida. They recently approved a bill that makes it easier to buy and sell crypto. Uh, Specifically, it eliminates a potential threat from another law that's meant to curb money laundering. Uh, this is notable because the entire debate on the bill took about four minutes until it was passed on nearly unanimous lines. Well, uh, from there, then, of course, it goes on to the Senate, where it took about 75 seconds of deliberation before it was ultimately passed on to the governor's office. And throughout this process, uh, representatives actually gave explicit uh, thanks in the chamber to crypto stakeholders on collaborating to write this bill. Uh, this really speaks to a pattern of behavior that's developing across state houses where crypto lobbyists are introducing made to order laws. Uh, and really we, we can see a very clear pattern where some of these laws that are being introduced in Illinois, for example, look almost like carbon copies of bills that have been introduced in other state houses across the country. Uh, so, obviously, uh, lobbyists are hard at work uh, trying to get legislation that they're writing passed. Uh, specifically, well, I guess we'll stop. Well, I want to pause there because this speaks to the involvement of lobbyists. And, and, and as Mikey, as you know, like we're, we're kind of waiting on the federal government to enact some kind of uh, regulatory framework. But it looks like states are getting to work, putting their own laws to work with the help of lobbyists. So. Uh, what are your thoughts so far on this? Definitely. I mean, honestly, I just applaud the urgency that these crypto companies are going with. Because, I mean, we've talked about the Biden executive order that I think is supposed to be wrapped up. What was it? Six months from March. So that puts it around September that they mm -hmm. want to deliberate and start talking over everything. So, I mean, these companies have six months to pass laws and get them in place to make it seem like they've been doing it this way for a long time. Why are you changing? If the executive order comes out being, you know, a little too heavy handed or getting into areas that they don't necessarily agree with. I, I find it amazing that they're working so swiftly within the state capitals to not only, you know, pass crypto related legislation, but I mean, they're lifting entire sentences or paragraphs from these lobbyist write-ups into actual bills that are being passed into law. So it's just, it's obviously, you know, not necessarily a money run. One of the, uh, what was one of the, one of the um, quotes that I found the funniest was like, you know, we don't want it to seem like we're donating money to this person so that they pass our laws, but we're definitely interested in the space and want to help them. And it's like, the optics don't really matter. It's, you know, how much money you can make and how many doors it opens right now, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, it for me, it, it, it really opens questions about influence and corruption. Um, but before I talk about that, I, I just want to lay out like this, the vast majority of legislation in this country, especially at the national federal level, is written either wholly or in part by lobbyists. This happens all the time in Congress. Lawmakers have small staffs, 
there's a lot to do for them. And when a lobbyist comes along and says, hey, we've got a great idea for some legislation and we can draft a bill for you, you get to take credit. Um, these small staffs that are overworked, uh, they're probably going to be like, that That sounds great. Uh, you help us out. And, you know, when it comes time to raise money, uh, maybe we can count on you. And if that sounds like corruption to you, you, it, it, you might have a point. Um, but that is to just say that this, um, this is phrased in the article as um, like a new strategy, but this isn't really novel to our political system. Now, I guess, so, so you were kind of saying you see this as like trying to establish a pattern by the time that the federal regulators come along, like these laws will already be in place. And ultimately, these laws are securities markets laws. So SEC and the federal government is going to have final say. So these, all these state laws might just get axed like in six months or a year. But um, that being said, considering the Supreme Court has a conservative bent to it and the conservatives are always, you know, states' rights over the federal government and they're in favor of less regulation, which is what a lot of these laws are. I don't blame them for trying. Even if you think there's a 70% chance that these state laws you're making are going to get struck down because they're conflicting with future federal laws, why not roll the dice and hope that you can get it in front of the Supreme Court and, um, you know, at the very least, you buy yourself some time to to operate under these laws. Well, exactly. And that's kind of what, yeah, I meant is it's just, you know, my personal feelings over the last five to 10 years, it's been a lot more you know, you decide what you want in your state. We'll stay out of it as long as it's not, you know, drawing too much attention or bad noise. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see the downside for them. You know what I mean? In this particular instance. For who? The, the um, crypto companies and the lobbyists trying to pass these laws in the state capitals. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. For, for the lobbyists, this is just work for them that they get to, you know, charge fees on. They don't, yeah, they're, they're winners, they of course. Regardless. And the thing is, though, not all crypto um, companies are necessarily winners to the same degree because, remember, these lobbyists are being hired on behalf of uh, crypto companies. So they're advancing the legislation they're writing that's getting lifted and put into law is being heavily influenced by their clients who are paying them. And so if you're a specific crypto company and you had a heavy hand in writing some of this legislation, I mean, you just, you'd be a fool not to assume they're going to write it in a way that benefits that specific crypto company. And yeah. while I'm sure it will knock down legislation or sorry, regulation across the board, my concern is that the companies that, are, that have the access that are writing these laws are writing them in a way that benefit them specifically and disadvantage their competitors, which is regulatory capture, which frankly is a plague on our economy across different industries. Yeah, I mean, they bring up that, uh, what is it, that Kentucky article where that guy wanted to start a Kentucky mining and he wanted to get tax incentives for starting it. Mm-hmm. And he had it introduced and they knocked it down like two or three times. Like, no, we obviously see what you're trying to do. But yeah, I mean, that's that's basically exactly it. One of the quotes that cracked me up was Republican or Representative John Schneider said, whether you're Binance or Ethereum, Dogecoin or Bitcoin, this is a great bill. Um, which is, it's, it's funny to me to see these names and headlines, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I know Dogecoin has, had just had so much more staying power than it, than it should. But, um, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it speaks to like, you know, how powerful memes can be. Um, but everyone knows about, uh, everyone knows about Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin. I feel like if, if yeah. like people who are kind of layman, but, um, but, but that's, I think an important 
part is that these actual representatives who are supporting these bills, as I mentioned uh, from the jump, there's not a lot of deliberation going on, and there's clearly not a lot of understanding of the finance and technical aspects of the, the crypto technology and the implications for the business models that are trying to profit from it. And, you know, I don't expect lawmakers to be an expert in every single field. They're asked to make laws for every aspect of our lives. I think that, but at the same time, I, I just, I, I get concerned that if, um, you know, you pass this bill because now you can count on money when it comes time to run for re-election. And that's not just speculation. One of the lobbyists from Bit5, Michael Cresty, in this article explicitly acknowledged that they have plans to raise money for support of legislators. And so it's kind of a pretty open, like, you scratch our back, I'll scratch your back. And so then it's like, is this legislation really like the best it could be? Is this really the best for the users and even like the broader companies at large? Or are you just using this as an opportunity to line your re-election pockets. Uh, that, that's just the, the major concern I have. Yeah, no, and I mean, I kind of have the same, because like you said, they have, most of them probably have pretty limited backgrounds in like financial regulation and any mm -hmm. field correlated with that. So they have to rely on the industry experts, which sometimes are synonymous with lobbyists, you know, just given the complexity of the new technology in the blockchain space. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see a bunch of states where things go bad and then a bunch of states where, you know, it, it works out for the benefit of everybody. And it's just, you know, mm -hmm. more use cases. Yeah, because they all want to be the next Silicon Valley. So I think they're 100%. all they all want to be like, hey, look at all these jobs we created because we're the tech hub. Uh, hey, hey, Wyoming, we're talking about you. Wyoming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just like good luck, Wyoming. Like if if you right? if you're Wyoming, I, I'm sorry, Go but for like, it, man. yeah, because like, what else are you gonna do? Exactly. Like, I, I'm sorry if you if you're from Wyoming and you're taking offense at this, but uh, look, there's there's nothing in Wyoming. They're, they're just ain't. And if you think you're gonna beautiful like, country, become, sure. But if you think people are gonna move there en masse to create some kind of tech utopia, um, hey, they they can barely even make it work in the tropical islands. Uh, right. I. But hey, good luck, Wyoming. You know, I, I get it. You got to do whatever you can because <laughs> it's just a giant field, man. Yeah, we're pulling for you. Yeah. Um, oh, man. All right. Uh, well, okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Regulation is an ever-evolving story there, but um, interesting to see it develop in the state houses. Definitely. I'm interested to hear the first, like, murmurs coming out about the executive order. I wonder whether everybody's going to keep their mouth shut until they have to go in or whether we'll get, you know, little sneak peeks of what they're talking and thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. But uh, we have another article, I think, on uh, some uh, spyware, right? Yeah, we do. So senior EU officials were targeted with Israeli software. Um We've definitely talked about NSO on the past, but if you haven't, uh, you know, listened to that particular podcast, NSO Group Technologies is an Israeli tech firm, prim primarily known for its proprietary software at Pegasus. And Pegasus is capable of remote zero-click surveillance on smartphones, among kind of other applications. Um, so basically, what they're saying is that you know, between 2019 and 2021. Four or more EU statesmen and women were targeted along with staffers. They don't really know the extent to which any information was extracted or what they might have found on the smartphones. 
but they actually got a message issued by Apple to thousands of iPhone users back in November telling them that they were targeted by state-sponsored attackers. And it was the first time Apple kind of sent a mass alert uh, to people telling them they were in government crosshairs. I've got a couple of questions with that. We'll keep moving through and get back to it. But my main thing is, this is the first time I've ever heard of this other company called Quadream, which is mm -hmm. a smaller Israeli spyware vendor that's apparently reportedly sold almost a nearly identical tool to clients in the past. And funny enough, NSO said it supports an investigation into the targeting and called for the establishment of global rules to govern the spyware industry, whereas Quadream didn't return any messages. I'm assuming it's due to the size and, you know, NSO being able to, whether they're in the pocket of many governments around the world or they know things about many governments around the world, doesn't seem like they're very worried about any legislation or anything's turning on them. But Quadream not returning any messages gave me a good chuckle. Jake, what do you think here? Well, NSO, by the way, is currently blacklisted by the U.S. Yeah. Commerce Department, and they're also being sued by Facebook and Apple, but Facebook specifically for allegedly targeting thousands of users encrypted messaging on their WhatsApp uh, service. And uh, so they're not very well liked, at least uh, in the eyes of the American government. Um, because, I mean, these, these tools they sell are products that they only sell to government law enforcement agencies, and they claim that they're only used to catch criminals and terrorists, of course, and that all sales, by the way, are also approved by Israel's defense ministry. Um, so it sells these tools to governments to use as they'd like. And knowing what we know about governments around the world, I'll let you guess how some of them choose to use this spyware technology on their own citizens. But um yeah i mean this is kind of a shady group uh what kind of freaks me out of course i mean the whole thing just freaks me out but um is that these tools because who knows who who committed this uh right this, this spying on these eu officials but like it could be a government it probably is or it could be someone that just got their hands on the software and like the ability to crack into any phone even iphones that are lauded for their security the fact that really anyone could just get their hands on this tool and do that, it's, um, I don't know, it's always something I, I, I put in terms of governments and big government being able to do, but now it seems like anyone can do it. Yeah, I mean, as long as you got the, the bag to buy it. So you're under the assumption that the actual United States government does not like NSO. Uh, I mean, I don't. Smoke I, and I mirrors, yes. my friend. I would say yes, because. While I'm sure they purchase NSO Group's technology, they also develop their own. So if I'm the U.S., I'm like, you know what? I feel much better about us just developing our own and leaving everyone else to develop their own. But here's NSO just giving out handguns to everyone. You know? <laughs> right, if, I, right. if I'm the U.S., like, I want the monopoly on the hardcore uh, security software. I, I don't need my enemies getting equipped with all this other stuff. So that yeah. would be my, my belief. Okay, I, I'm more along the lines of they bought it, tried to reverse engineer it, made a similar enough product to now be able to hate NSO, which is the, basically <laughs> the same thing you said. All right, so I just, I just want, yeah, yeah. But um, no, so the EU is set to launch a committee of inquiry to investigate the use of surveillance software on April 19th. And like you said, it's kind of following the United States taking a harder look at spyware merchants. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely scary shit. The first time I read about zero-click exploits, I did not want to log on to anything.
Okay, could you explain zero click exploits? Not really. I think that Dylan. So I don't know. I don't know whether they hide like they can. It's the one that I read. They switched like an emoji, so that like they sent an emoji or like a GIF or something and embedded the GIF with the exploit, so that like literally just by sending it to your phone. They're able yeah. to then get in and surveil, I think. Yeah, I think it was. So you don't need to click on it. Yeah. No. Okay, that's it's, terrifying. It's crazy. Because that, uh, so I'm, I work at a company and we constantly are worried about security and we get taught best practices. And best practices always end with just don't click on something. As long as you don't yeah. click on stuff that you're exactly. not familiar with, you're, you're fine. And it's just not true anymore. Not anymore. Whoa. Yeah, there was. Dylan is saying it was a GIF using 1990s fax technology or something like that, which is just like so school. crazy that something so advanced is using a part of something that is so outdated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's so, yeah, yeah, just Well, crazy. the other thing is they, they hit in the article that um, some of the people that were affected by this hack were sent messages by Apple. So you know how we get like the Amber Alerts and we get um, all kinds of warnings now? <laughs> yep. Well, you might wake up one morning back, hey, uh, someone might have hacked your phone and uh, it might currently be doing it. Just a heads up. So yeah. some government is watching you just, just be aware. And it's like, okay, okay. Thanks. Thanks for the warning, Apple. In case you didn't think you, yeah, you were being watched. Uh, we can confirm. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Um, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, these tools, man, they're only going to get, uh, better and they're only going to be more of them. So scary. Yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, Hey, appreciate you, uh, hopping on today. It's good to talk to you, bud. Oh, yeah, you as well, brother. We will uh, catch you guys tomorrow for another episode of Daybreak Crypto. Sounds good. See you, bud.